0: Thank you, brother, and welcome everyone to our Bible class tonight. I hope that you're ready to continue uh, engaged in learning and being encouraged about marriage. So I'm just going to do a little bit of a review of some of the passages that I did last week. Don't worry, the edi- today's edition is G-rated for all audiences, so you don't have to worry. Um, I'm going to keep it very nice and whenever I think I'm going to have to share something that uh, those under 13 should be advised, I will let you know ahead of time. But today we're going to focus on the covenant of marriage and what a covenant is all about, which is a foundational principle of marriage. But let's do a little review first. We talked about in Hebrews 13 verse 4, how marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So marriage is something that we as a church need to hold up in high esteem. First of all, of course, as the married couple, next of all, as the church and as a community, we need to really help people see that marriage is something that needs to be honored and kept pure. Uh, Only those who by mutual consent want to get married, which would encourage them to do so in the right way. We also saw how marriage is something that's beneficial to mankind. It's not something meant to enslave, but meant to help us, to benefit us. And that's the idea behind what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.35, in that whole passage, which we will be looking at In a bit more detail later on, he mentions some things about how it's better to remain single, of course, because as a single person, your focus is all on the Lord and you will live in undivided devotion to the Lord. When we get married, more distractions come into our life. We have to focus on how to please our spouse. But there is, Paul says these things not to restrict us, but that we may live in a right way. In other words, that whether we're married or single, we will live with undivided devotion to the Lord. Compatibility is key here when trying to find a good mate, and that's something that we help you do with our prepare and enrich pre-marriage counseling program. Another verse that we saw that is not meant to restrict in terms of marriage is first Corinthians seven fifteen which talks about a circumstance called desertion. Uh, Paul is speaking about a mixed marriage here, mixed in the sense of a Christian uh, who is probably became a Christian, they were married, the person becomes a Christian, the unbeliever doesn't like what the spouse has done, wishes to leave, they don't want to be married anymore, so they just take off. This is what we call desertion. This does not apply to uh, both people being Christian, okay? I just wanted to make that very, very clear. This is the case of somebody who's not a Christian deserts and leaves their Christian spouse behind. The principle here is God has called us to live in peace. And as the Holy Spirit says, the brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances because the marriage is not meant for you to be enslaved to an absentee partner. What is marriage meant to do? It's meant to enrich us if you accept it unto death. That's the caveat. Marriage is something that can enrich you, but you have to be okay with it. You have to live and accept it. As Jesus says here in Matthew 19, 9 through 11, a passage that we're going to look carefully at when we discuss divorce. He says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery the disciples said to him if this is the situation between a husband and wife it's better not to marry Jesus replies not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given Jesus is saying this not everyone can accept this word in other words not everyone can accept the strictness of marriage. So if you can't accept the strictness of marriage don't get married don't do it live a single life because marriage is a single is a serious commitment so you have to make sure that you first of all make it on your own free will and number 2 that you make it to last for the rest of your life if that's not something that you're willing to accept then don't get married because then you're going to leave kids if you have kids you're going to leave them without a parent and that's how the fabric of society starts to tear down you want to make sure what you're getting into when you're thinking about marriage and you shouldn't really be thinking about marriage unless there is somebody that is making you think about marriage that you want to get married to and that's why we also have the prepare the premarriage counseling program to help you decide if the person that you think you want to get married to is compatible with you because we want to honor marriage as i read before we want to avoid adultery so let's talk about marriage a little more the foundation of marriage marriage is a covenant so we're going to talk quite a bit today about covenants what is a covenant let's start there what is a Covenant. Well, I got four points here for you concerning what a covenant is. First of all, we could define a covenant as a solemn, that means very, very serious, and binding relationship, meaning that somebody's going to hold you accountable to it, which is meant to last a lifetime. Covenants last a lifetime. We could also define it as a promise, a bond. A promise is a bond. faithfulness unto death also for a lifetime covenants involve an accord between at least two people that want to make an accord want to build a relationship solemnly lasting a lifetime promising to each other faithfulness unto death. and these two people of course are a man and a woman let me just make that clear (laughs) and covenants are not meant to be broken. Once you put a covenant in place, man, you know, they they ought to last a lifetime. And there's really no exceptions to break the marriage covenant except death. That's the only permissible one in the eyes of God. And we'll get into the details of that a little later. So sometimes we'll say, well, is the covenant the same thing as a contract? Because when we sign the marriage contract, some people want to get married. You go to a a town hall or city hall, and you get a marriage license, and you sign this contract. It does look like a contract because it is. It involves signatures, it involves promises, blah, blah, blah. It's a legally binding contract. Okay. But what is the difference between a covenant? and a contract so i prepared this uh for you let's first look at some scriptures talking about this god views marriage not necessarily as a contract although technically you could say that a covenant is a kind of contract uh, but look what he says here in malachi 2:14. the lord was witness this is actually a rebuke that the prophet malachi is giving the people and you will see why the lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant so god is rebuking uh, the israelites here because they were getting divorced you know they were marrying having children and then getting divorced leaving their wives and going somewhere else which is what jesus uh criticizes heavily in Matthew 19. But here we find some important concepts like the Lord is a witness. This is important when we talk about the outline of a covenant. Uh, when a covenant uh, is is started or, or or put forth, there are witnesses to the covenant. And the main witness that is between a, a wife and her husband who's getting married is the Lord. We cannot forget that. He is one of the most important witnesses to the marriage covenant. Uh, And also he mentions that word their covenant, the wife of your youth, uh, and uh, rebukes them for being faithless and for abandoning their wives. If we look at this other scripture here in Proverbs 2, 16 and 17, this will read, Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. So this is a rebuke to those who ignore the covenant and are called adulterers because they leave their husband or their wife, in this case talking about the adulterous woman leaving her husband, leaving the partner of her youth, ignoring God's covenant. Notice that whether this adulterous woman realized it or not, The covenant she made was made before God. He is the primary witness of this covenant. So what is the difference between a covenant and a human contract? So I prepared this table for you here. And notice that it has a little picture icon. You might want to take a picture of that because it's going to be in the discussions later on. So there's at least three differences that I can notice between a covenant and a contract first of all a covenant is based on trust between parties two parties trust themselves so much that they want to make this covenant whereas whereas a contract when you sign a contract for somebody to build you a new wing on your house or you sign the contract to purchase a car or to lease a car or whatever the contracts you sign you're signing that contract because they don't trust you. They don't know you from a hole in the wall. So the contract is based on distrust. That's a big difference, isn't it, between a covenant and a contract. A second big difference is that when a covenant is made, you are it's based on unlimited responsibility towards the other party. There are no limitations because it's based on trust and it's because it's based on a desire to establish some kind of a promise, there is unlimited responsibility between people who make a covenant. Whereas a contract is exactly the opposite. The person that you're signing, the person or company you're signing a contract with, no, that's what the contract says. All the limitations of their responsibilities, which is basically what we call limited liability. There's a lot of uh, circumstances under the contract that you, that you sign, what we call the fine print that you should always read, right, in the contract, excusing them from a lot of different things. They want to limit their liability. Quite the opposite as a covenant, which is based on unlimited responsibility. And thirdly, a covenant shouldn't be broken. If you're making a covenant with another person, it's, it's a covenant for life. You know, even if new circumstances occur, that's why the marriage uh, promise or vow will say in sickness or in health, for richer or for poorer, for better or for worse. It doesn't really matter. Circumstances should not change this covenant that you're making. Whereas, in a contract, a contract can be voided by mutual consent. You can tell the person, you know, you sign a contract, sometimes you have... uh, they give you a window there in which you can break the contract if you want to get out of it. Like, let's say you buy a new car and the guy tells you, well, you have, you have a week to uh, get out of this deal. And if you get out of this deal, you void the contract. <laughs> so those are three big differences that I see between a covenant and a contract. And isn't it interesting, right? We can make the observation that our society, isn't our society viewing marriage? more and more like a legal contract rather than the one flesh covenant that God designed? Doesn't that make sense? You know, and this is common when people are very selfish. We live in a very self-serving society. Everything has to be by the law, you know, and and they all look for the loopholes in the law. How can they get out of this? How can they get out of that? And that's how they're viewing marriage more and more, just like a contract, not as the covenant God wants us to see it as. And remember, laws can always be manipulated instead of ministering. We as Christians should view laws that God has given us and that our society has as opportunities to minister, not as things that can be manipulated because that's what happens in our society as well. People try to manipulate the laws for self-service, not to serve, in the same way as they view power uh, people who have power or authority what do they use it for to subjugate instead of empowering jesus empowered us with his power and so these are some things that we observe as to what's going what's gone wrong in our society concerning marriage why is the divorce rate so high people are viewing marriage as a contract that can be broken i'm looking for the loopholes i want to manipulate I want to subjugate, and that's when it goes wrong, when we fail to see it as God wants us to see, the marriage as a covenant. So let's look at now the outline of a covenant. What does a covenant involve, all right? Well, first of all, we have a pledge. This is what's called the pledge or the bond, which means a promise. Uh, and this is accompanied, the promise is given by an exchange of words. And you're going to see all four of these uh, parts, if you will, of a covenant in all of God's covenants that he has made in the Old and in the New Testament. They all fulfill this because our God is a God of covenants. God is always looking to empower us. God is always looking to to give us something that will benefit us eternally. And so all the promises, all the covenants that we see in the Scripture follow these four things. The pledge, the promise, which is an exchange of words. Sometimes it's accompanied with a physical exchange of a symbol or a gift. We see that in the rainbow, right? The sign of the promise God made with Noah. Circumcision is the sign uh, of of the covenant God made with Abraham. So there's sometimes an exchange of gifts or a symbol given uh, that signifies this pledge that is being made. Second, we have an establishment of obligations, and that is the sharing of a common life goal. It's the sharing of a common life or the sharing of common goals Uh, usually put forth by the party wanting to make the covenant and accepted by the party wanting to get into the covenant with their exchange. So the duties between the partners of the covenant are given in these establishments of obligations. Thirdly, we have the ratification. The ratification is what seals and binds the covenant. Uh, usually, an external act that is done in keeping with the promise given. Often, blood was also spilled when a covenant was made in the Old Testament to illustrate the gravity, the solemn solemnity of the covenant. So we call those a covenant of blood when there was blood spilled, uh, and that's when it's ratified. Nowadays, we may ratify covenants with a signature. You know, we sign our names. We put a seal on a letter. Those are things that ratify the covenant, that make it so. And ultimately, we have the witnesses of the covenant. This is important because as we read before Malachi, God says he is the witness of these covenants, of the marriage covenant. And the witness is there to speak to the eyewitness testimony necessary Because of the obliging nature of the covenant. So, what does that mean? That means that I'm there looking at you, not just to have a good time in the wedding, but I'm there to hold you accountable. I saw you say these promises. I heard you say these things. I saw you giving that, giving the first kiss. I'm going to hold you to that. (laughs) That's why we're there. We're there to make sure that we're holding these people coming into this covenant accountable, and so is God. God says, I am the witness. He is the primary witness. So we need to uh, take pause in the fact that God calls himself a witness of these covenants, especially of the marriage covenants. And so the witnesses are there to speak to the eyewitness testimony, necessary because of the obliging nature of covenants. And they serve also to remind, to hold the party accountable to the covenant. Often after a covenant was uh, established, there was a sharing of a meal with the witnesses to commemorate the covenant. That's why usually we have uh, a meal after a wedding. That's not uncommon. That's not a 20th century thing. No, that's been done since time immemorial. And the observance of a celebration often also took place, maybe if not a meal, then a celebration uh, to honor this covenant. Sometimes they they were for a week in in the first century and in Jewish society. The marriage celebration was over seven days in the Old Testament, sometimes even more days. So imagine that. Imagine how much it would cost to have a wedding celebrated for seven days in today's society. (laughs) Only the rich could get married. So let's look at some of the covenants that God fulfilled between uh, in the Old Testament. This, a little review here so that you can see that all these covenants followed these four things that we just talked about. Now, we're not going to get into the whole scriptures. That's for you to do on your own time. But I provided the scriptures here for you so that you can see that they follow this outline of a covenant. We've got the Sabbath. That was the first promise God made uh, even uh, you know when he rested he said he made the Sabbath holy different and the Sabbath is an interesting uh, covenant uh, because it was first we first know about it in the week of creation when God uh, made it holy he made it different he blessed the seventh day there was something special that he did to make that day different. But then again, we see the Sabbath come back when the law of Moses is established. There's even a law, uh, one of the commandments about the Sabbath, right? And that's when the Sabbath became very, very important to be followed. So notice that there was a big time gap between God making it holy and then telling the Israelites why he made it holy and what they should do about it. But that's not the end of it. <laughs> in the book of Hebrews, we're told that these Sabbaths that God set aside as holy and that uh, God instituted in the fourth commandment, they are really a shadow of the real Sabbath rest that's coming for the Christian. So the Sabbath is interesting, and it's a covenant that, that is kind of like in the middle of being fulfilled still to this day. Uh, that's a very interesting one, and it's a very different one than all the others. After the flood, God established a covenant with Noah. We read about it in Genesis 8, verse 20, all the way through chapter 9, verse 17. Uh, and in this covenant, uh, there's first uh, an animal that gets sacrificed by Noah, You know, and then God gives him the symbol of the rainbow. And that was a covenant, a promise God made not to destroy the earth via water. Again, (laughs) we know how it's going to happen the next time, (laughs) but at least it's not going to be by water. Then we got God's, God made two covenants with Abraham. Interesting. Some say more, but at least these are two important ones that we can extrapolate out of the Genesis text. The first one in Genesis 15 is actually a covenant where there's various sacrifices of animals. They're split in half, and Abraham has to kind of walk, or the Spirit of God walks through them, the fire of God walks through all these animals that get split in half. It's a very elaborate uh, kind of covenant that God establishes there with Abraham, and it had to do with God promising him that he would take possession of the promised land. And then, in two chapters later, in Genesis chapter 17, there's the covenant of the circumcision, uh, when God calls Abraham the father of many nations and promises to uh, increase his descendants, and that's when circumcision is established. Uh, then we have the law of Moses established with a lot of pomp, a lot of, a lot of miracles, a lot of signs, a lot of wonders. When Israel went there to Mount Sinai, and God established the law of Moses, this covenant, talked about it from Exodus 19:5 all the way. Through chapter 20 and following. (laughs) And then the last covenant that we're a part of today, the covenant uh, Christ in us. That's the covenant. Paul talks about that in Colossians 1 24 through 27, which I uh, would like to read uh, with you. If I can get it here on my screen. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 through 27. It reads, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery That has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now disclosed to God's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is it? Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How beautifully put is it, isn't it? Uh, This new covenant, the covenant made with Jesus' blood. Christ in us, the hope. Of glory. That's the new covenant, the new testament, if you will, testament, covenant, similar words, right? So this covenant, uh, as we saw here in Malachi 2.14, the one flesh covenant, marriage, the marriage covenant is the one flesh covenant between a man and between a woman. The Lord is the witness. He is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. And we want to make sure we're faithful to our spouses. They are our companion, our counterpart, as we read in Genesis. So when we do this, we have to make sure uh, when we establish this covenant that we're pledged to this one person. And we have to keep the pledge holy. The consummation of this pledge in the marriage is the sexual union. That's how... The covenant is ratified by the sexual union. That's why many times, and, and, and it still is true, in some Jewish uh, circles, that that same wedding day, the husband and the wife recently married, have to be, <laughs> have to uh, you know get together and ratify this covenant uh, right there. You know, not not before everybody, of course, but. You know, it happens during the ceremony. It's like part of it. And uh, the thin veil of the flesh in the woman's body is broken, which spills blood. That was very important to prove that the woman was a virgin. And so this covenant, because of that, can be viewed as a blood covenant because there is some spilling of the blood. And so this is what makes the one flesh covenant. These are all the parts of the covenant shown there in the One Flesh Covenant. So one of the last things I wanted to say tonight before we get to our discussion is how this covenant is a shadow. How this covenant is a shadow to the ultimate covenant that we're looking forward to. The Christ in us covenant. The hope of glory. That's what marriage is a shadow of. This physical One Flesh Covenant is a shadow of that ultimate fulfillment Because the Christ in us, the hope of glory covenant, has not been ratified yet. It will be, but it hasn't been ratified yet. We are just promised. We exchanged a promise. We're betrothed to Christ. And God gives us a token, a symbol of that, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit guarantee. But we have not ratified that with Christ yet. That will happen soon at the wedding feast as it's shown in the book of Revelation, when the holy city comes down and there is a wedding between Christ and his church, and woo, that's going to be awesome. Uh, that ratification is going to be awesome. So how is this shadow? How is this marriage covenant a shadow? Well, we are pledged to one husband. We are. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians eleven two. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ. He is our head. And he also says that I might present you as a pure virgin. Brothers and sisters, that's why keeping ourselves pure is so important. It's not just, oh yeah, we need to be pure and free from sin just for the sake of it. No, we're keeping ourselves pure for our husband because he is holy. He has made us holy. He has washed us. Why would we get dirty again? That would be the equivalent of, which is what some people do, right? They have a bachelor's party and they become impure. And they do things they shouldn't be doing before they get wedded. Everybody frowns upon that. Everybody thinks that's not right. Even the world recognizes that. So in the same token, we are kept pure, free from evil, full of good. We are to be the 3A bride to Jesus. What's a 3A bride? Three A's, attractive, adapted, and appeasing. That's the kind of bride we need to be for Christ. We are to be attractive to Jesus, as it says in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, where it says, husband, love your wives, as Christ loved the church, gave himself up for her. To make her holy. Jesus knew that we weren't attractive. <laughs> we were dirty. But his blood, by his blood, we are made holy. We're cleansed by the washing with water. That talk, that's talking about baptism. Through the word. That's our discipleship. And notice verse 27. Because Jesus wants to present us to himself as a radiant church. Without stain, wrinkle or or blemish, but holy and blameless. Attractiveness is an important quality. Of course, we're talking about we're talking here about spiritual attractiveness, right? But similarly, this is echoed in the marriage. A wife should be always attractive to her husband, not all you know, messed up and hey, we're in a quarantine. It doesn't matter if I don't make my hair or or wear or smell or anything. No, <laughs> this is also a principle for wives to practice. Next, uh, we see here that we are to adapt to Jesus. What does this mean? Well, Romans 8, 29 talks about being conformed to the image of Christ. This is what a wife does. We, as, God, as Jesus' wife, we are working to conform ourselves to Christ because once we get married to him in heaven, that's going to be full sail. But right now, we're still attempting, right, as best as we can with the help of God and with our zeal to adapt, to conform to Christ. That's, that's what God desires. God foreknew. He also predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Just like a wife in a one flesh covenant is also to conform to her husband, to adapt to her husband, uh, we adapt or conform. To Christ. And number three, we are to appease. What does that mean? To please and praise our husband, Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.9 says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. For what reason? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. A wife that pleases her husband, that praises her husband. Not empty praise. I'm talking about real stuff, right? That really, you know, that's so special to the husband to hear those things from his wife. And in the same way, because they're imitating, right? They're, They're a shadow of what we as a church do for our betrothed husband. And that is to appease him, to please him, to praise him in all that we do to do his will, to do his bidding. And so when, when was this pledge consummated? When did we enter into this pledge? How did we sign this betrothal with Christ? Well, it happened when we were baptized. Notice the wording here in Romans 6, uh, 3 to 8. Uh, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We have been united with him. Notice, into, united with him, in a death like his. We will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. So this consummation has two parts. The first part is us participating in his death, getting into his death, being united with him in his death, and the second part is coming soon. The second part being raised in a resurrection like this, although now we kind of do it. We're raised to live a new life, but we haven't been glorified just yet. That is coming. And that's why verse 8 will say, now if we died with Christ, we will also live with Him. And right now we're, that's why we can say right now we're, we've started our eternal life, even though we're still in the flesh. Uh, We started it because now when this flesh dies, it will be, transformed when Jesus comes back. So this is all how the one flesh covenant is a shadow of that ultimate covenant in Christ, the hope, the Christ in you, hope of glory. So if you have any questions or comments, you know who to call and who to text. Here's my number. And uh, so what are the discussion questions for tonight? We got three. Notice that two of them, uh, require that you have taken a picture in order to help you with the discussion. Uh, hopefully somebody took a picture of those slides that had the picture icon. And so the first one, discuss the differences between a covenant and a contract and how our society has made marriage more of a contract than a covenant. I'm sure this is going to be a very interesting discussion that you're going to have here. Number two, discuss the meaning and necessity of each of the parts of the covenant. The four parts, the outline of the covenant that we discussed, talk about the meaning of each of them and the necessity. Why why is each one needed? Can we take one out? Why not? And number three, how does marriage point to our union to Christ? So uh, now we'll go into our breakout session. So remain in standby. Thank you for your attention, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much for listening. I hope the Lord gave you insight into conforming to Jesus with today's message. I always appreciate feedback. You can send me your thoughts, musings, and comments directly through the Anchor app. You can also contact me on Twitter at Kingdom underscore Saint. Walk with the Lord today and be a blessing.